I am not alone. I am not ashamed. I am not silenced. I am not unworthy. I am not unloved. I am not alone. Hello, this is Ernesto, and you're listening to the I Am Not Podcast. Let's grow together. The why behind this podcast is to give a voice to those who were silenced or were never allowed to have a voice in the first place. It is to pursue healing by sharing the stories that in society are considered taboo and best kept behind closed doors. My story, as many other stories, would never have made it to the public, the pulpit, to the stage, or to the sermon on Sunday mornings. I want this podcast to be about you, your journey, your struggles, your peaks and lows, and most importantly, your recovery as you grow and excel in life. This episode, I'm going to share a background on myself. Fear crippling anxiety, PTSD, nightmares, the lingering taste of pennies, and sharply metallic smell of blood in the air, screams in the night that would receive no answer, broken doors, walls, bones, and spirit. This is what laid me down at night as a child. From an outside perspective, This is awful and a horrible way to live. But for me, that was just another rough day at home. And hopefully, if I'm quiet enough, it'll go away. But for now, I'll just cling on to my teddy bear at the back of my closet and hope the red stains on my pajamas won't stain too badly to attract my father's attention and anger him further. My parents came from Mexico, and I was born here in Michigan. My father was the only one who spoke English, and that was on purpose. It would keep my mother and us dependent on him, unaware of the support that existed just outside our reach. He would have some truly nice and good moments, and that's what makes this even more difficult to recount. I wish I could say everything he did was awful, but it simply wasn't. And because of that, I will never have the closure I want, but it's a closure I don't need from him. I was groomed by an abuser, and I was taught how I should view life, a man's place in the world, and that their woman belongs under control and under their boot. And sometimes that was literal. I was taught that unless my father approved, my memories were merely confused or bad dreams that I needed to forget, as I did not fully understand the context of what happened. Eventually, I was placed in an all-English school with zero knowledge of English in a third grade. For years, it was a struggle, but eventually by middle school, I became decent at the language. But regardless of being bilingual, I still had no voice, nor did I know I had a right to have one. 
The abuse worsened with time, as all domestic abuse does, until it abruptly stopped. To this day, I'll never understand why, but all I cared is that it was finally fucking over. I can finally have a breath. Maybe, maybe it's because my mom became more involved as she secretly learned English on the side. And other parents started noticing that she fell down the stairs a little too often. Who knows? But my mom, as all abused victims do, believed in the good of my father's heart and deeply feared him at the same time. But she gave him chance after chance. But at the end of the day, what choice did she really have when he was the provider of everything? He chose if we had food. He chose if we had electricity. He chose if we had safety. He was our God, and he was a vengeful God. He was a jealous God. In hopes to rekindle some kind of love or some kind of bond in our family, we eventually began going to a non-denominational church when I was in sixth grade. Let me tell you, at first I was quite resistant. The idea of a faith in a higher being was an offensive concept to me. As, why would an all-powerful God be okay and abide by my Father, our God, to abide as well? Why would an all-loving God allow what had transpired my whole life be okay? Regardless, the love bombing I received there overwhelmed my young and moldable heart. I quickly became friends with people who would later become part of the highest inner circle in this smaller megachurch. That being one of my best friends for the next 10 years was the lead pastor's son. I was just intoxicated by the sense of friendship, love, devotion, and purpose the church gave me. And over time, I not only became a dedicated member, I started leaving the identity my father had crafted for me and started creating a new identity around this new faith. This was now my second religion. And I just hoped it would be more loving and less abusing. And although when it came to the physicality of it, I would be right, little did I know how much I would have to face just to be free later on. My friendships and relationships grew, almost to the point that it didn't feel like real life. My friends and I, we grew up spending the weekends. Heck, we spent summers at the pastor's house. We became family. If I needed advice or support or I didn't know what to do, they were there to catch me. And as I became indoctrinated and was willing to overlook where others would have placed healthy boundaries, I didn't. And because of that, I became involved, highly involved, in youth ministry. And I was a promising and rising preacher. You would be hard-pressed to find me without my trusty duct-tape Bible, taking notes for hours on end, seeking the mysteries of our faith at the church's restaurant, or in the offices of the leadership, elders, writing the next sermon, or prayer meeting. 
As time went on, I attracted the attention of leadership, and I began to be inducted into training for exposition, public speech, Bible studies, whatever was needed to take me to the next level to preach on and off in a ministry ranging from middle school to college student. However, along with learning how to format a speech, I also began learning how to read a room, which I was already an expert at due to my childhood. How to use my tone and create crescendos of cascading emotions to guide the audience towards the point I was making. All in all, I was being taught how to manipulate, which oddly enough, I felt disturbed. And all at the same time, it felt like a deja vu, as some of these were my father's teachings. But I shook it off because this is my pastor. There's no way this could be the same methods as in this case, we're not manipulating. I, I reason with myself, we are simply using emotions that were already there. But this time, instead for personal gain, we're doing this to save lives. We're saving their souls from the ever-burning pits in hell. How could I not do that? We were representatives of God with the only truth. But regardless of how much passion and what I thought was beauty at the time that I witnessed, there's always that constant nagging voice in the back of my head that would not let me fully rest as something is changing. It kept telling me, something is changing and it's not for the better. In the background, during all this, my father became a valued and influential member, quietly but efficiently. I would eventually be asked for my testimony, for the cause, for the faith. But as I shared a very G-rated version, it would only raise questions leadership did not want answered. As a result, began what I would like to call the backroom meetings, where elders and pastors, along with my father, would question and interrogate me. Then they would proceed to gaslight me on my childhood experiences with my father and that I was ruining a good man's reputation because of my need for attention and lies. And at first, I held strong. I was defiant. But then after a while of these meetings, I started losing my grasp on reality, and I truly started questioning if I had truly imagined it all or if I misremembered as they had drilled into me. Can I even trust my logic? Can I even trust my thoughts? Maybe I'm the problem. So naturally, as all abused children do, I apologized. I put my head down, and I no longer shared my false narrative. In my late teens, I began falling into a crisis of faith as I had more exposure to other people's faith. But most of all, I was just struggling to view people as sinners, and not just people. My friends in the faith and leaders demanded that we cut off all secular friendships as they would lead us astray, but I just simply didn't have that quote-unquote strength. I began pushing back on what I started identifying as abusive practices and beliefs and started asking questions that would only anger leadership. I also started pushing back on my father. I started questioning him 
and eventually, in a moment of fear and fury, I finally stood up against him when he tried to drag my mother out of her car as she attempted an escape. No. No was my declarative statement. No. You will no longer hit her. You will no longer hit me. And from that point, no longer would I visit him. I was done depending on him, and I got a job, and I never again relied on him, his approval, or support. It was a victory that strengthened me, but at the same time, it deeply cut into me as I officially left my first God. During these difficult times, I would go back to my refuge to drown these memories, these sorrows, by just spending time with my friends. But slowly and all at once, I realized how, instead of walking into the room to be greeted with smiling faces and friends, I walked into quiet, tense rooms where others avoided eye contact. Friendships I had had for more than a third of my life dropped me in a blink of an eye. Some true friendships that I still have to this day lingered and provided me the support that I needed just to make it to the next day. The damage was done. The veil was lifted. The magic act was exposed. And I was left with the bloody remains of my faith and identity mangled and on life support. I left the church, but the church was not yet done with me. From attempting to intervene and intimidate us during a court process we were going through against my father, calling and harassing my mother in her day-to-day life and on social media, to the final straw of criticizing my wife as we were walking on our wedding day. There were a few that were relentless with their pastor leading the charge. I had invited the pastor's family to be gracious as I had always been instructed to be growing up in their church. But at the end of the day, they they only managed to reflect why I had grown to know of my former home and former church. When the dust settled and no more stones were thrown from their lofty soapboxes, then the mourning began, as now my second god had died. My faith, my religion, and my friendships were dead. I was lost, and I was faced with a question. Who am I? And what am I? Eventually, I began carving a new identity. I dove into what I cared about, what I wanted to dive into, what I liked. I began therapy. I started forming my own opinions for the first time in my life. I became unapologetic and standing strong by the ideals that I feel are right and healthy for me. Throughout all this process, my girlfriend, now wife, held my hand through it all, cried with me, and supported me. And she showed me unconditional love, far more than any pastor ever did. And now, even though I'm going through this deconstruction of my faith to figure out what do I believe in, what I can say that I believe in is that I have two wonderful little girls. And every time I get to hold them, I know 
that I will love them and give them the childhood that they deserve and that I always wanted. And every time I look at my wife and best friend, I know that she will always be safe in my arms. And I know that I am not my father. I am not what he said I was all those years. I am not my pastor. I am not what he said I was. And I am not afraid. I am me. And that is finally good enough for me. Going through this, I have seen how many of my close friends still suffer in silence under the oppression of this institution that some of us managed to eventually leave. And it inspired this podcast, where people who have escaped abusive relationships, regardless if they're religious, family-centered, or relationship-centered, can come together. We share their stories. We heal together. Because we will no longer be silenced and no longer be isolated. We get to write our stories. We get to decide what and who we are now.